Hi, I'm Kavir Kale, and welcome to Reliable Health for All podcast. This podcast is intended to bring awareness about global health issues and how we can make a change. Through this podcast, I'll be interviewing healthcare professionals, people who have experienced or firsthand seen these issues, as well as many others. Today, I will be interviewing Ricky Gonzalez, who has worked on the community college level with homelessness and food insecurities, as well as Sharonda Barksdale, who is a homeless youth liaison. In this episode, we will be talking about the issues homeless people and other individuals struggling with food insecurities face. Especially with the coronavirus pandemic, this issue has become much more widespread and people are at higher risk of being homeless. In addition, the inadequate treatment homeless people are receiving are killing many of their lives. Um, I hope that talking to you both today would help bring perspective and insight on the treatment and life homeless, at-risk homeless people and those with lack of food have. Um, To start off, could you go into detail about what you both do to help people struggling with homelessness and food insecurities? Um, I can start. Um, so uh, good morning. My name is Sharonda Barksdale. Um, and we do a lot of handholding and warm handoffs to different organizations, both um, on campus and in the community um, to that, that specifically deal with or assist um, students who are dealing with um, homelessness or who are at risk of homelessness, um, as well as food insecurities. Um, we work largely with the um, Los Angeles um, Housing um, Authority um, in regards to their coordinated entry system when working with the homeless um, students on our campus. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then as, as in my role, right, so um, specifically having the opportunity to do a lot of those, like, Sharonda said, like referrals, both on-site and off-site. Uh, we also, on our campus, try to promote uh, CalFresh to our students. And CalFresh mm-hmm. is a uh, California initiative that's uh, that's been going on for quite some time. It's It's been rebranded a few times and recently in, in its CalFresh um, iteration. It really is a way for students to be able, or any anyone, right, community members included, to be able to apply for the service and get uh, uh, some funds to be able to help them uh, deal with some of their food insecurities, right? And then um, some of our uh, community partners for housing have been uh, Harbor Interfaith, right? So um, they have come to our campus and been gracious enough to uh, do initial meetups with our students uh, on our campus. And then um, should they have a case or should they have um, um, more detailed issues, uh, they then refer out to the the bigger Harvard Interfaith Community Group. And then from there, uh, students can get direct assistance to get some uh, temporary housing assistance uh, for for various reasons. Okay, okay. Um, What inspired you to start helping individuals who have food insecurities? Um, Were there like any specific experiences you had or people you met that influenced you to make a change? So, so for this one, um, I, I would definitely like to say that, you know, I think it's always understanding the narrative, right? A lot of the times, um, the, the, all these insecurities are, are direct correlations to our students not being successful and their narratives always being shown in a negative light. So for example, a lot of the times professors, faculty, staff, always see the students as not motivated enough or who don't care and so on, right? Right. But really understanding that uh, the holistic experience of the student or this individual relies upon a lot of community issues that are affecting them. Whether that's, I don't have a place to, 
to go home to to be able to do my homework. I don't have access to computers or internet to be able to turn in an assignment. Understanding yeah. that if I have to choose between a meal tonight or you know money money to to get to class, I'm gonna have to choose that meal over getting to class the next day. Yeah. So you know, really understanding that has has really inspired me to to try to address some of these these issues and tackle them right. And then uh, definitely, um, you know, having the opportunity to work with someone like Sharonda, having the opportunity to work with um, individuals on our campus who used to be here and who, some who are still here, like Tony McKingley, who specifically worked with our foster youth, who now has switched over to another individual. Her name is Kiana Daniels, who oversees the um, Guardian Scholars Program on our campus. Um, really, really illustrates to me the need of our students and really kind of puts a face to, to the issue, right, to the narrative. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's really what's kind of kept me grounded in this work and allowed me to really explore uh, other, you know, community partners to come to campus because at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is address the need of those students who come to us and tell, tell us that we need this, right? Right, right. Yeah. I guess, and so for me, um, coming from a social services background, um, I really began to look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you guys are both familiar with that, but when you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you look at the foundation, basic needs of anyone, food, water, air, um, you can't begin to build or to accomplish anything else until your basic needs are met. So if we have students on campus who are dealing with food insecurities, um, housing insecurities. And as Ricky mentioned, from a holistic perspective, how can we begin to feel that those students are going to be successful and be able to focus on education when their basic needs are unmet? Um, yeah. So I think it becomes really important that, you know, from a holistic experience, we look at the fact that if we aren't addressing those basic needs of our students, then we won't have successful students. We won't have students who, um, are at class on time, who are participating actively, who are, you know, completing their major and graduating or transferring on to a four-year university. And I think that's the ultimate goal for anyone working um, with students or working in post-secondary education is that you want to see your students succeed. So in yeah. order for us, our students to be successful, we have to look holistically and we have to look at are their basic needs being met? We have so yeah. many students who want to pursue their education, who want to, you know, live a better life, let's just say, than their parents or, or you know, be the successful mm -hmm. next generation. But how can they do that when they're focused on where's my next meal going to come from? Or, you know, I'm in class and my stomach is grumbling and I can't concentrate or focus on the professor because I'm hungry. So definitely, I think for me, that is a, a lot of what has influenced me to do the work and to work with the the disproportionate populations that I do work with um, on our college campus. Oh, wow. Okay, that's great. Um, through all the help you have provided, what was one experience that had influenced you or given you a different view on homelessness or um, people with food insecurities? Um, I think for me, I have one case that stands out from a couple of years ago, working with a young man who moved to California thinking that he would come out here and go to college, would just automatically provide housing. Um, and this young man was actually homeless, sleeping at the airport, riding the train all night um, because he had nowhere to go. He didn't know anyone in California. Um, the mom was in his home state. Um, he didn't have a job, but he was really doing his best to try and pursue his education and be independent. So that was the other yeah. big thing for him is that he wanted to be independent. Um, and working with this young man, it, it was a struggle because for me, I could see that there were possibly some mental health issues that were not being addressed. Um, however, when working with homeless, you have to be very careful um, when you begin to detect or you feel that there might be some mental health issues. Um, I provided him with a lot of resources, um, really was working with him to try and, you know, get him to connect with one of the outside agencies that could assist him. 
And in the end, he kind of just disappeared. And I shared with another coworker, it happened to be like right before our Christmas vacation when campus is closed. And I, I remember just sitting at home really like, I wonder, is he okay? Like even sending emails over the holiday break, just trying to reach out to him and connect to make sure that he was okay. Um, subsequently, he popped up one day, I ran into him on campus. Um, he looked great. And he's like, oh, you actually remember me? And I'm like, of course I remember you. I'm like, I was worried. I'm like, what happened? Like, where have you been? Like, but it was, it was a blessing in disguise. Um, he actually did reach out to one of the organizations that I had provided information for him. They were able to get him in housing, um, get help, help him get a job, um, help him get on, you know, medication to deal with his mental health issues. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't continue at El Camino, but he is attending another community college, and I do stay in contact with that organization just to see how he's doing, but at this point he is thriving and so for me that just kind of you know yeah it kind of just says like okay you you are a difference um you yeah. know so that, that that's like my my wonderful story i love to tell <laughs> yeah no that's really good that's very good um as for me, um, you know, I'm fairly new to 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 the, a lot of these populations, right? And fairly new to a lot of the different causes that we're helping. But there's really been two cases where I feel like, you know, I've been really in depth with uh, with these students, right? So one of them, uh, there was an individual who used to uh, frequent our center quite often, um, and you know, he. Um, it would start off with just casual conversation. He would talk to other students. He uh, sometimes we would have like little get-togethers, a little office potlucks, and you know he would ask for a plate. And you know there was times where we would oblige, and there was times where you know unfortunately there just wasn't enough left you know to to give. But through the conversations, I started to kind of understand that you know. Uh, that that's kind of how he was brought up right you know he had been in and out of the system for quite some time he um he was very charismatic incredibly outgoing so, you know really an extrovert right um yeah. and he he had no problem going up to a random stranger and having a conversation because of the fact that you know sometimes that conversation led to a meal sometimes that conversation led to you know a few bucks here and there to be able to get a bus ride or you know yeah. certain things like that so he he kind of applied that uh on on a campus right where sometimes it was kind of off-putting because it's you know you have one culture of you know survival instincts where you know this is this is this has helped me succeed throughout my entire life right oh, to right. to coming to to a campus where you know some people may find that off-putting or some people may not necessarily know how to you know how to have those conversations with you because they don't know you we haven't had that you know connection yeah. but i feel that you know, the experiences that I've had with him have, have been positive in the sense because it kind of gives me an idea of like, okay, this is someone who, you know, who who really want you know wants to better himself really you know wants to to thrive on the campus right as a student yeah. um, but uh, but then at the same token it's also an opportunity for me and him to both learn with one another like hey you know we have to pick up on social cues we have to pick up on you know cer certain right. things right so right. it's also kind of providing that structure within those interactions, right? And, and I know Sharon like, always shares this with me, like sometimes these students need to have that real conversation with you because if we if we give them a perpetual fluffy, fluffy cloud or, you know, rainbows at the end type of conversation, like not to say that that's not where we're in, you know, I'd rather have them have realistic expectations mm -hmm. than uh, overt optimism to have their dreams crushed, right? Oh, so, yeah. You know, we really want to kind of provide them that type of structure. That's true. And yeah. then um, there was one other individual back in January. She had just come into the country. She was living with some family. And um, that family, um, you know, was like second or third cousins type of thing. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, she was having a really hard time acclimating to, to the house rules, to the culture, to all that, all that stuff. And at one point she got kicked out, right? Yeah. So having, having, 
you know, that conversation too, where it's like, you know, even individuals who think that they have all these, all these things lined up when they come here and, you know, who, who have these familial ties, like sometimes that's not enough, right? Like, you know, she, she became homeless out of, out of, you know, out of the blue and having to, you know, be in a new country, having to acclimate to the, to new cultures, new languages that they're not used to while at the same token, having to navigate a system that she didn't know existed, which was like, you know, the housing, housing assistance and all that stuff was really uh, eye opening experience for me. Right. So, um, I would say that those two, those two stories really always kind of like drive the work that I do. Oh, wow. Okay. That's good. I think those are like definitely, like eye-opening experiences. Uh, so because of the coronavirus, there has been higher rates of unemployed people making it hard for many to get food. Um, in your experience, how has the coronavirus affected the homeless population and other individuals who are struggling to get food? Um. For me, I haven't seen necessarily an increase in terms of students um, seeking services for being homeless or at risk of homelessness. Um, As a financial aid advisor, I have seen a slight increase in the number of students who are identifying as homeless or at risk of homelessness. Um, But for many of them, I don't think it's necessarily due to corona. Um, just after having interviews and conversations with the students, they're still kind of couch surfing and doing things that prior to Corona, that is how they were living their life. Um, They just now see that speaking up about their situation, there are benefits and resources that can be available to them as students um, experiencing these types of situations. so I'm not sure when it comes to food insecurities, I think, yes, we do have more students who um, are finding themselves in situations where they are food insecure. Um, I, I, I take my hats off to our campus for our pantry remaining open even during COVID-19 and having, you know, being set up to do a drive-through. Um, I think twice a week they were doing a drive-through service where students could just drive through and pick up a couple of bags of food. Um, so I think that speaks volumes and, and the fact that students were showing up every week and they were running out of food to the point they were having to, you know, beyond the donations, go purchase items. Um, and they were actually purchasing more protein and things of that nature to really help students be able to stretch what was being provided to them. Um, yeah. So I think, yes, it has it has affected our students. Um I just feel like we're in an area where it probably didn't affect our students as much as it did probably some of your larger campuses. Mm-hmm. But I think we do a good job about making sure that one, our students on campus resources, um, as well as making available to them um, community-based organizations that can provide assistance. Okay, yeah. And and I definitely want to echo uh, Sharonda's sentiments in regards to the work that we've been doing on our campus. And I would even say um, a lot of community partners have really come out to kind of like address a lot of these different things. Uh, El Camino is located uh, in Torrance, but it kind of goes into different regions. Like there's a part of El Camino that's located in Gardena. There's a part of us that are like kind of hitting that, you know, um, what is it, Car- uh, not Carson, uh, Lawndale area, right? So even even around El Camino, you know, El Camino is a vast campus. There's a lot of other uh, community resources such as churches, uh, K-12 uh, schools and stuff like that that are also kind of like taking the charge in, in, in giving out meals to the community members. El Camino itself um, had a community day where we, we gave out a lot of our pantry um, food to community members who drove up, right? And and we continue to do that, right? So uh, I would say that to to Sharonda's point, we haven't necessarily seen a huge increase in our students taking it, but I would say that because of COVID-19, there has been a a bigger community uh, gathering or community following to opening up, even if it's a meal, if it's a, a pantry box or a bag or, you know, just 
there, there's been more community activism to, to address a lot of these food insecurities that a lot of families may be having due to COVID, right? Um, let alone there, there has been, I've seen at least around uh, Gardena, uh, an uptick in um, Meals on Wheels, right? So oh, yeah. there have yeah. there has been a, quite a bit of different organizations that have come around our neighborhood even, and like, you know, just a, a lot of the surrounding areas to kind of see um, if there's anyone who does need, uh, you know, from, uh, any type of food, and you know, because of the fact that they may have lost a job, they may be directly affected due, due to COVID and may have some health conditions, right? And stuff like that, so. Um, yeah. I, I would definitely say that there there has been um, some quant quantifiable evidence and you know uh, community activism that has specifically ar arisen to address some of these insecurities. Mm, okay, okay. Um, for individuals experiencing food in food insecurities, um, does this compromise their physical and mental health? Definitely. Um, I said definitely for the simple fact that if someone is food insecure, um, physically, um, they're focusing everything on satisfying that hunger, you know, satisfying that need to eat. So definitely their physical health can be compromised if they are fatigued, if they are, you know, um, not having the energy that they need, especially as a student to be able to come to school and focus, um, as I said, like focus on a professor or focus on just their studies in general. And when it comes to mental health, um, I think definitely, because if you are someone who's facing food insecurities, <coughs> excuse me, your anxiety level is increasing. And high anxiety can definitely lead to other types of mental health issues for a person. Um, I think anytime we're facing any type of insecurities, whether it be food, whether it be homelessness, whether it be financial insecurity, um, our minds are racing. We're always thinking about, okay, what's next? Where's my next meal going to come from? How am I going to pay this next bill if I don't have money coming in? So definitely with the increased anxiety, I think definitely mental health becomes a big issue. And I know that on our campus, we have seen, it, seen an extreme uptake in um, students requesting mental health appointments or seeking mental health services through our student health center. Um, it has been one of the biggest challenges that the health center has had is being able to accommodate those appointments. I mean, it's it increased so much that we've had to do MOUs with outside agencies in the surrounding area to be able to refer students for mental health issues. So yes, definitely. Okay. And I mean, just as recent as 2019, there's some data from the California Legislative uh, Analysis Office that specifically kind of even um, corroborates a lot of Sharonda's, you know, um, narrative right now, right? Where we're looking that about 29% of homeless individuals in the LA County alone are facing some kind of mental or substance abuse disorder. Um, and that was, you know, as recent as 2019, right? Yeah. Um, so, and the you know another another point to also kind of quantify that a lot of the times you know it's really hard for this population of individuals to disclose these issues so they may be having a lot of these um the needs right but because they don't self-disclose or it's really hard for them to tell that specific part of their narrative or they themselves don't know any difference right because they right. They, they haven't um like experiences before and stuff like that or this is just their normal to them it's really yeah. hard for us to kind of start addressing that until we have those one-on-one -on -one meetings until we they self-disclose and they look you know seek out the services that that we provide and stuff like that so i mean and in and as, as, as much as I hate that saying, it's like, you don't know what you don't know until they, they come out and talk to you, right? That's so that, yeah. that's always going to be one of the biggest um, obstacles that we try to, you know, hurdle over is is the fact that, you know, these services exist, we continue to push for them, outreach and reach and promote them. But it really sometimes, you know, the students have to meet us halfway or, you know, uh, the, the, the potential individuals facing these insecurities have to meet us halfway to, to try to get these services as well. Yeah. Um, what is something that many people may not know about this issue, um, like such as is the scope of this issue bigger than what many might think it would be? 
I think it definitely is. And I think just piggybacking on what Ricky was just saying, um, I think because of the neg negative stigmas that have been attached to food insecurities and homeless and housing, um, mental health, those things, it becomes difficult for people to seek out those services. Um, a lot of times people don't want to self-disclose because they don't want to feel like, well, I'm a failure or I don't want you to look at me negatively because I can't provide food for my family. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with one, shifting the thought process for people um, and letting people know that it's okay. We've all experienced, you know, these types of situations um, and that there is help. Um, I think keeping an open door, keeping an open mind um, will also allow for us to kind of shift that negative stigma into something that is, you know, more positive or more acceptable in society, um, as opposed to looking down on people who maybe need the assistance of, of CalFresh or who need the assistance, housing assistance and things of that nature. Yeah. 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 And then also really kind of like honing into Sharonda's point too, like going back to that individual's narrative, right? Like some of these right. individuals may have been part of a lot of different organizations or, you know, housing, housing um, projects. And, you know, they may, may have been used, they may have been used to a system that really kind of oppressed their narrative, right? Because sometimes mm -hmm. a lot of the, those individuals bring in like, you know, horror stories of having going through the system, of having a social worker mm -hmm. who doesn't care, of having all these different things, right? So sometimes yeah. it's, it's in, in a way like a conscious biases that they have in requesting this type of assistance um because of the fact that they've had such a bad experience with the system already they don't want to go back to it right uh whether um and and really understanding that the this work is grounded on empathy uh but also really grounded on passion right uh individuals like sharonda individuals who really like you know care about the student and are willing to go that extra mile um to you know and and like sharana said at the beginning of this podcast right like sometimes it is that hand holding like taking them from one service to another making those genuine connections with individuals and really ha making making sure that at the crux of it all the student or the individual that you're helping feels valued right and really yeah. connecting them to a service or resource that is that is tailored to help them with their with their stuff to get them back on their feet right so yeah. i think yeah. that definitely is something that um, not a lot of people know about this issue. Like it's, it may be long stemming, you know, because right. the systems that currently exist may, may have in fact hindered the continued uh, per, uh, persistence of this individual from seeking uh, further assistance because of the negative stigma that is attached to it or the negative experiences that they had in the system previously. Um, okay, okay. Um, do you think that there's an unfair distribution of wealth and is that something you think contributes to the issue of people struggling to afford food and homeless populations? <laughs> um, I would say yes, and I would say no. Okay. Um, yes, I do think there's an unfair distribution of wealth in this society, in our nation. Um, do I feel it contributes to the issue of people struggling to afford food and homelessness? Yes and no. Um, I think that our nation as a whole, we, we really need to overhaul a lot of the systems that we have um, in place for people who need assistance. Um, I think there needs to be more outreach to people. I think a lot of times people are in certain situations and they don't know the resources that are available to them. Um, you know, I, I've heard students say, well, you know, I, I applied for a food stamps a year ago and I didn't get them. And, and my whole thing is, is, well, did you follow up as to why you didn't get them? And it's like, no, I think there needs to be more, more outreach, more follow through. Um, I, I'm a firm, firm believer in handholding because I think that handholding is what builds the connections. I think that we're a society that we don't value connections enough. And I think when it comes to disadvantaged uh, populations, the connections is what, that, that's what needs to be made. People need to feel connected. People need to know that, okay, if I reach out to this person, you know what, it might take them a day or two, but they are going to get back to me with some information that could be beneficial to me. Um, 
even in, in the instance with the young man um, that I spoke of earlier, um, mm -hmm. just the connection of me providing him with resources, you know, he, at, at the time when they were provided to him, he didn't follow through. But at some point, he was able to say, you know what, she gave me these connections and he used those resources and said, well, hey, I got this from El Camino and such and such and was able to benefit from, you know, the resources that were available to him. So I think a lack of knowledge and I think a lack of outreach in terms of letting people know the resources that are available to them um, are definitely where we as a society need to kind of look at this, like I said, the systems we have in place and we need to do some major overhauls. Um, we have things like CalFresh, which they have been attempting to revamp that program for the last 10 years. Um, and they're, they're doing the best that they can right now. Um, but I think that if more people were knowledgeable about what resources are available to them through CalFresh and it's not that negative stigma of, oh, you're getting food stamps, you know, it becomes, yes, I'm getting assistance to provide, you know, food for my family or food for myself. It's it's all on how it's, it's sold to people, how it's, you know, put out there to the world. And I think we really need to spend some time on just how we, we, we put things out there to people who need these resources, how we sell it to them. Um, because for so long, the negative stigmas have just discourage people from seeking resources that are available to them. And I think this is one of the reasons why our state alone, California, we lose so much money just, just in CalFresh. Our state loses millions of dollars every year because we don't have enough people who apply for CalFresh, even though we know there are people who need it, you know? So yeah. I, that's, my, that's my whole thing. I don't like getting political with things, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and again, like Sharonda hits the nail right on the head, right? Where, you know, look, uh, I think that the Walter distribution isn't a direct participant, but it is an underlying cost, right? And, yeah. you know, really looking at legislation and propositions that people have, you know, the power to vote on and to enact real change are sometimes the ones that get left in the perpetual limbo. So, like, there's there's been a lot of legislation. I think uh, uh, Maxine Waters proposed uh, a bill um, just as recently as last year, and it's still sitting on the Senate floor, right? You know, and it's still getting kind of cross-examined that specifically was meant to address homelessness and, you know, redirect funds from military, from a lot of different aspects, a lot of different areas to to basic needs resources and specifically, uh, you know, home uh, housing housing and security resources to be able to give them an influx of, of needed funds to kind of continue their work, right? Um, yeah. And even, even that too, right? Like a lot of these existing programs and services, like we really need to look at the regulations and, you know, really understand that some of these programs and services may because of the fact that they don't have the funds or they don't have the manpower to really address like the, the quantifiable needs of all uh, if you know they were if they were given you know some some manpower or you know they were given some sort of grants or you know uh, funds to be able to kind of function properly a lot of the regulations that really like that are in place right now that kind of um, you know, limits some individuals from being able to qualify for them would, would then get, you know, re reassessed and, you know, be more accessible for all, right? So yeah. sometimes it's yeah. like, you know, a dollar amount, like you need to make, you need to make this amount of money in order for you to qualify for Medi-Cal, for example, right? But how many students or, you know, individuals who are facing these homelessness and stuff like that, let's say they're $1 over, like, you know, oh, get, wow. they get called yeah. back in and said, hey, unfortunately, because of that $1 that you're making or that $1 that was donated to you for or for X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z, you don't qualify for the service. And, you know, not yeah. to say that you don't need it, but it's just because, you know, looking at the rigmaroles that we, ha we have placed as a society onto, onto this program and service, you don't qualify for it, right? Okay, yeah. So yeah. definitely that. And then, um, you know, really... Um, going back to to the lack of adoption right sometimes it's it's the hardest thing in the world to to get someone who's had a really bad experience in the system so i would even i would even say having that introspective look with existing programs and services to really kind of clean out a lot of individuals who may just be there who don't have the passion anymore who don't have like you know the 
the the equity the equity centered mindful mindfulness right to be able to help yeah. our, our our populations and really kind of you know having them you know get out of the system so that individuals who do have that passion that desire to help are are you know put into those positions and really start addressing a lot of the equity needs that uh, these individuals are facing right yeah yeah um over the years have you seen any positive or negative changes on the progression of this issue well go ahead I, I was gonna say because like I said I'm fairly new to a lot of these different um, causes and a lot of these different reforms right so right, right. I, I've kind of been on the tail end I have seen significant adoption uh, across various mm. ca- uh, college campuses right so yeah I mean as uh, as early as like March I think Cerritos College uh, sent out a memo to other community colleges and to like their community itself. They had just uh, purchased and are overseeing housing for their homeless students. So the community college, Cerritos would be one of the first, if not the first community college to actually have housing available to their students on their campus uh, or on their neighboring land to their campus to be able to kind of address uh, some of those homeless needs. I know that Compton also proposed some housing for their community college students so there there's there's been significant um communal communal change right like a lot of communities are adopting legislation or are redirecting funds to to causes that they believe in and you know are are specifically aimed at addressing uh you know housing insecurity which i which i thought you know was really amazing Um, in addition to that right uh and we spoke about this with sharonda too Calfresh um, has currently been going to a lot of campuses, both UCs, Cal States, and community colleges uh, for adoptions so that, you know, there's a Calfresh component on every campus because at the end of the day, a lot of those students um, are the ones who qualify for this service who don't know about it, right? So that could be, you know, anywhere between, you know, 160 to 180 bucks into their pockets that they can utilize to buy groceries for that week or for that month, right? Um, a lot of pantries have opened up across campuses as well, right? So um, I know that there's been a lot of colleges that have adopted, like, uh, you know, pantries as small as ours, right? That specifically just does like canned goods, um, like toiletries and a lot of a lot of those things to like, you know, really huge pantries that do like even like produce, they have their own like you know open air market type of thing where they they come and like you know they get fresh green produce they allow uh, vendors to come onto their campus like on a saturday or something and they, mm. they make it a community event to really kind of build that that relationship right because yeah. it's not just about giving them access to food but giving them access to healthy food too right like yeah uh like as much as college students like to survive off of uh you know a couple noodles and mac and cheese like that's not necessarily the best diet sometimes <laughs> Right, right. And then uh, definitely, and, you know, I definitely want to toot Sharonda for, for this one, but, you know, at least on our campus, and there are some other campuses, too, that have adopted closets, right, to be able to give mm-hmm. out and provide free to low-cost clothing to students who need it, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, Sharonda has taken it up for herself to even go that step further and also provide it for not only the students, but some of our students are also parents and, you know, providing some free clothing to, to their kids and the, and that stuff too. So really addressing like that that sense of community, right? So that, so that they can feel that El Camino does truly care in addressing their holistic perspective and their holistic needs, I think is a testament to what, like you know a lot of these movements have been evolving into on on college campuses right let alone communities and statewide yeah yeah so just piggybacking i i definitely agree with everything ricky has said and and definitely yes there have been um positive changes in the progression um when we look at cal fresh i think for them um taking the step to uh, a few years back changing their eligibility requirements so that students would could be eligible for CalFresh benefits. Historically, students were not um, able to apply for CalFresh benefits because of their financial aid and the awards that they received. 
Um, mm -hmm. So I think for them to take a step back and look at, wait a minute, financial aid should be used for other things and not necessarily for a student to have to purchase food, but more for their supplies if they need laptops, books, scantrons, things of that nature, and to change their eligibility requirements and say, okay, you know what, now students, yes, you are eligible. And then to go a step further and say, well, if you are part of certain programs on campus, such as ELPNS or the Puente program or Project Success, that these are qualifiers that could automatically, you know, make you eligible to receive the CalFresh benefits. For so many of our students, that that $192 a month that they could receive in CalFresh benefits could be the actual difference between them being successful and unsuccessful when it comes to their college careers. So I definitely take my hats off to CalFresh for making that change. Um, and then secondly, um, when it comes to housing, I would say that yes, there has been a progression. Um, we see that definitely in LA County, LASA has taken the initiative to really begin to say, yes, we have a lot of college students in this in this county who are facing homelessness or who are at risk of homelessness. And to really begin to adopt a model that focuses specifically on students in post-secondary education, I think has been really great. Um, one of their initiatives along with working with um, our students has been to assign every community college within LA County their own navigator or peer navigator. So an actual student who has walked through the steps of being homelessness um, is now assigned to every community college to be able to help those students um, and help the staff um, assist those students who are facing those housing insecurities. So as Ricky said earlier, we work closely with Harbor Interfaith because they are the lead agency in our service planning area in SPA 8. And to be able to just directly reach out to one person and say, hey, I have this student, here's the situation, how can we help? And to work in partnership with them to be able to try and find housing options or even if it's a problem solving where we just look at what the student is going through and we're able to help that student say, well, you know what? We don't have any options right now, but looking at your situation, what if we try this or what if we try that? Um, I think is definitely beneficial to our students. Um, so I think, yes, there has been progression. Yes, I think there can be more, um, but I won't be greedy. I'll take what we get for now and you know run with it. But yeah, I think definitely more can be done. But I do see that, yes, we have entities within this society that are definitely beginning to open their eyes to see that, yes, there is a need. And here's what we can do to address that need or help you help you as an organization to be able to help your students. Mm -hmm. OK. Um, what should the general public or for those who are listening do to help people lacking basic necessities such as homing and food? I would say become educated. Um, learn about the resources in your community. Um, and it's not hard. Um, you know, you can do Google searches. You can use 211 as a resource. Um, definitely, you can call 211, provide them with your um, zip code, and they will provide you resources within your area, specific area, um, based on whatever your need is. Um, I know we as a campus, we did create a resource book um, through our basic needs task force um, that has everything from mental health to housing and food resources um, that are in our community. So outside of campus, for those students who don't want to take advantage of services on campus, for whatever reason, um, this resource book, you know, it, it gives them immediate access or immediate knowledge to food banks in the area, what churches are giving away, you know, food on what days and what times. Um, so I think for the, the easiest thing that people can do is just really be begin to educate themselves on what is there in their community. Because a lot of times the communities offer a vast amount of resources, but because of our lack of knowledge, we don't know. Therefore, we can't refer or assist people who might need those resources. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I think again, Sharonda, you know, pretty really well. Um, I would even go like you know, really be the voice for change, right? And make sure that yeah. you look into legislation that specifically releases funds for to fight homelessness and housing insecurity. You know, I'm I'm a very big proponent of, you know, if you. If, like like Sharana said, like educating yourself and really asking those questions, like you know, looking for areas that need that assistance, I think is going to be really big because sometimes the the cause isn't going to come to you. You got to go look for the cause, right? Yeah. Um. One of the things that uh, was recommended to me a uh, a year or so ago was like uh, to join and sign up for the homeless count and help with getting a, a person that helps with gathering data. And you know, uh, Sharonda had experience with that too. And you know that's not a that's not an easy experience, right? Because yeah. like, I, if anything, I feel like the homeless kind of really opens your eyes to the magnitude of a lot of the issues that we're facing, right? And yeah. a lot of the times, um, individuals who who really want to know what's going on, I think you know, getting involved with events like that um, kind of gives them an overview of you know just exactly where where you you need to be in order to help, right? And then yeah. finally, uh, donating in kind goods, right? Uh, looking at local shelters or organizations that specifically take, you know, uh, donations. And in kind goods really means like clean socks. Like you have no idea how socks are really an important factor. The number one needed thing. Yep. <laughs> uh, underwear, sleeping bags, travel size toiletries, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, that can really change someone's, um, you know, uh, health outlook, right? You know, yeah, uh, something yeah. as simple like a, a socks, right? Like I said, like it really does make a difference. Right, right. You'd be surprised. Socks are the number one requested item from homeless shelters throughout the nation. Hmm. Wow. It, people yeah, really, definitely- yeah, when you say it, people are like, huh? Like, why not? Yeah. Socks are the number one. That is one of the most requested items from homeless shelters throughout the nation. And, and just to piggyback on what Ricky said, um, definitely, um, I would also suggest maybe getting involved with things like, um, you know, uh, community organizations within your local community, community, whether it's city council, just attending a city council meeting or city, um, attending a council meeting just specific to your area so that you can hear like what is going on in your specific area. Um, I know for me personally, just due to my schedule, I'm not able to attend the meeting, but I know several people who do, so I'm making a point to call them to find out, like, what was said, what, what's going on in, you know, in our neighborhood, just so that I can be more knowledgeable and be aware of either things that they are planning or, you know, things that they want to see happen in our neighborhood and, and ask myself, well, how can I become more involved? Um, yeah. And then definitely, you know, volunteer if you have the time. A volunteer, yeah. like right now is a time when, you know, you have churches, you have more churches that are doing local food giveaways every week. Just volunteer an hour of your time just to go hand out bags as the cars are driving up, you know. Um, yeah. it's those little things that make a huge difference in the long run. And so many, um, right now they're looking at with the changes in LAUSD, not knowing whether or not the kids are going to be going back to we have a lot of food banks right now that are getting resources, but they don't have the staff or, or, or uh, volunteers to be able to distribute. So the distribution has become an issue from the, for them. Some have even had to go from distributing two days a week or three days a week down to one day a week just due to lack of you know um, people or volunteers being able to assist with distribution. So I think that too can be a way for people to get involved um, in in these, um, especially during this time of COVID. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, before we end this episode, what is one takeaway you would like listeners to know? Oh, um, I'll. I I usually am pretty practical, but, you know, for this, you know, because this really is a passionate project and really like, you know, a perpetual one at that, right? Like, I I do want to end with like, you know, those words that hopefully do aspire people to like join the cause, right? Which is, you know, we're all agents of change. All of us really have to be willing to be that change by involving ourselves in the causes and making sure that we don't, you know, that we don't 
if you don't know how to get involved, ask and research because you know that's that's the best way to help. You know, sometimes it's you know understanding that oh, if I can only donate like you know like five cases worth of socks, like you, you know, have no idea how far that would go to helping with with a lot of the 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 short low hanging fruit, right? But understand that all of us within ourselves have the power to be agents of change. It's it's up to us to to reach out and really you know aspire for that change in whatever you do, right? Whether it is homelessness, whether it is foster youth, in housing insecurities and stuff like that. Basic needs is such a huge and uh, you know umbrella that you know we can't all be in every single aspect of it. But we can we can attempt to try to you know really become master of one area and really you know g give our all to that and I think you know the the cause would be in a better place if we did that. Yeah. And I guess for me, um, I would say become knowledgeable. I, I, I'm a big supporter of community resources, so I would say become knowledgeable of your community resources. Um, what's in your area? Um, I am the firm believer of planting the seed. Um, you can plant the seed and sometimes they grow. You can plant the seed and sometimes, you know, you, you get a, a farm farmland of vegetation. Um, but it's about knowing, you know, what's out there to be able to speak to people as you might come into contact with someone who is facing um, food or shelter insecurities. Um, and there are times when people don't realize that they are facing food or shelter insecurities because it's how they've lived for so long. But I think yeah. if you're knowledgeable and able to build connections with those people as individuals, um, we're able to share those resources so that, you know, they take advantage of them. And whether they take advantage at that point in time or if they take advantage a year from now, the fact that you were able to provide that resource, provide that information, you would be surprised how how far that goes with people, especially when they are in a state of flux and not sure of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you both, Ricky and Sharonda, for giving insight on this issue pertaining to the treatment of homeless people and people with food insecurities and what they face. Um, I hope that those of you who are listening will be able to use your voices to speak up and spread this message. And just by giving food and like what Ricky and Sharonda said, giving funds, connecting with underserved populations, getting involved in the community, volunteering, um, they'll all tremendously change a person's life. Thank you all so much for listening. And I would once again like to thank Ricky and Sharonda for taking time out of your day to share your experience and your insight regarding this issue. Um, under the podcast, I will put information and ways you could help out. Thank you all so much for listening. Bye.